I think we've seen a lot of these, these to be athletes, these, uh, persons with disabilities, um, be told no, or that they can't. And then they just give up or they stop and they've never actually tried. And they're only told no, because, you know, of some statistic that says they're probably not going to, um, but they've never tried for themselves. And, I, and I've always thought that was kind of weird. Um, and what we're finding is that when we get these people to try, those statistics are wrong and that they're based off people who don't want to do any better. And, and so they have this whole vast life of, of functionality that they haven't even began to tap because someone somewhere along the road said, Hey, don't do that. Or, Hey, you can't do that. Or, you should be careful because you're already broken. And I think, I think my big goal is, is to allow them to understand that like, yeah, you, you may have some broken parts and pieces, but you know, it, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't try to better those things. You shouldn't try to and push the limits of your athleticism just because someone told you, no, I mean, imagine an able-bodied person, imagine the CrossFit games of half of these athletes had been told no, and they just stopped and hadn't pushed the limit. This is episode number 124 with Kevin Ogar. Welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm Julie Fouché, family medicine resident and former CrossFit Games athlete. Here, I bring to you information and inspiration from experts and everyday individuals for how to use lifestyle to maximize health. Thank you so much for joining me. Now let's get started with this week's episode. There and welcome back to Pursuing Health. This is another episode that I recorded this past summer at the 2019 CrossFit Games, and this is a conversation that I had been eager to have for several years now. I first met Kevin Ogar just a few months after his life changing accident back in 2014 when we competed together at the Battle of Courage, which was a fundraising competition put on by CrossFit TNT to raise some money for his rehabilitation. And I was struck then when I first met Kevin by his positive attitude and by the power of his very close-knit community and circle surrounding him. But since that time, I've continued to be very impressed from afar as he's used his devastating this devastating event is in his own life to positively impact thousands of other people. So as you'll hear shortly, Kevin's life changed dramatically in a freak accident during a fitness competition in 2014, leaving him paralyzed from the waist down. And in the aftermath of this accident, Kevin was surrounded by the love and support from the CrossFit community. And it was his passion for CrossFit that helped him to navigate through some of those dark times as he focused on getting back in the gym and back to the community that he loves. In the years since his accident, Kevin has not only become a very prolific adaptive athlete, but he's also dedicated himself to helping others using CrossFit for fitness and recovery. He travels around the world teaching CrossFit Level 1 seminars and adaptive training academy courses. He also runs his own CrossFit affiliate, CrossFit Watchtower. He volunteers with Craig Hospital to run a therapeutic recreation program, which is where he received much of his own rehab. He's also on the board of directors for The Reveille Project, which is a nonprofit that provides tools to aid veterans as they adapt back to civilian life. So in this conversation, Kevin and I talk about his accident and his recovery process. We also talk about how he adjusts his mindset when he's having a down day and how his personal challenges have enhanced his passion for helping others. I also wanted to give a very special shout out here to Kevin and his fiance Shannon on their recent engagement. I know that myself and everyone listening is wishing them a big congrats and a future of health and happiness. Before we get started, this is a reminder that although I am now officially a doctor, this podcast is meant to share the experiences of individuals and does not provide medical advice. So with that, let's get started with episode number 124 of Pursuing Health featuring Kevin Ogar. Welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm super excited to be here with Kevin oh, Ogar. Thanks, Julie. I'm Thank excited to be for, here. <laughs> Thank you for joining me. It's about time. Yeah. Um, so lots of things that I want to talk about. You obviously mm. have an incredible story and you're doing some really amazing things now. Oh, thanks. Um, but I thought maybe we could start at the beginning mm. about how did you get into fitness in the first place? I got into fitness. I mean, I've been playing sports since I was five. Okay. Um, year-round sports at five years old basically until uh high school what kind of sports oh you name it i played it um soccer baseball uh you know basketball was my big one 
um, got into high school and did track and football and a little bit of everything rugby in college. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Okay. I think, I think rugby is a great sport going into CrossFit, especially just because of the, like the physicality of it. And I know a lot of, I think I was talking to a, a guy who played rugby. He's here from Wales and he just loved the sleds, that Bob that they were doing, mm-hmm. the team Bob. He's like, oh, that's so great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, actually, it was the reverse for me. I actually got more into CrossFit because I started playing rugby. Oh, awesome. Because I couldn't run 400 meters because I was a fat <laughs> college kid. So, yeah. So, tell us about that. How did you first hear of CrossFit? What got uh, you into it? I had been powerlifting since I was about 12 or 13. Oh, wow. Um, and right around when I was 21, I started training people okay. um, as a personal trainer. And my boss... Uh, had started CrossFit when he was in the Marines oh, okay. and he'd always kind of jab me to give it a shot. Cause I was just, I was a fat waddler. Like I was <laughs> just really big. You like to lift. <laughs> I loved to lift. I wasn't much on the cardio. Okay. Um, and so I finally did a workout with him and his girlfriend and one of the other trainers and got okay. absolutely smoked. They did in like three minutes. I think it took me like 30 something minutes. Wow. So, you got uh, the bug. and I was like, I don't, I don't like getting beat. And so I jumped in. Okay. And so I, I heard about through him and then kind of through not liking losing, um, got caught up in the CrossFit. That's cool. Cause I feel like there's probably a lot of power lifters that would just give it the one time and say, Nope, this isn't for me. But you said, okay, I don't like losing. I'm going to see what this is all about. Yeah. I think it was that in the comment. Like I was, uh, ran track. I ran 400s. I was decently okay at that. And then I went to go run a 400 at rugby practice one day and couldn't run around the track once without stopping. So okay. you wanted that I figured, conditioning back. figured it was time. Okay. And what year was this when you first started? This was 2007. 2007. So you were early. Yeah. I mean, that was very early. Um, and were you in Colorado at the time? Or? No, no. I was. I grew up in Missouri. Okay. Uh, I was attending the University of Missouri, Columbia. Okay. Mizzou. Um, yeah. And I played, that's where I played rugby at. And um, that's where I found CrossFit. There was only like six CrossFitters in the whole state at that point in time. Wow. I think you had to drive an hour and a half or almost two hours to find a CrossFit gym. Okay. So you were in the phase of did you do it at like a global gym or home gym and then uh, got thrown out of a few globo gyms okay <laughs> um got fired from a couple of training jobs because of it it's like the classic yeah 2007 starting crossfit story we did it in a park in a garage we kept i drove a ford taurus uh-huh. and i kept barbells and plates and rings in my trunk and that's awesome we drove around and popped them out at parks and do workouts and throw them back in that's so awesome so then so you're playing rugby you're doing crossfit what did you do after college was done? Uh, after college, uh, well, I had moved out to Colorado at that point. Um, I went to college for a lot of years. Okay. Like how many? Uh, started in 2004, stopped going in 2009, 2010. Okay. That's not that many. <laughs> I still don't have a degree. That's, how that, yeah, that's a lot. Okay. Um, what kinds of things did you dabble in while you were there? Um, mostly uh, behavioral psychology, some oh. biochemistry. Um Towards the end, I got really sick of them telling me I needed to take history classes to learn anything about psychology and okay. biochemistry. So I just started taking classes that I liked. Cool. Um, but apparently that does not get you degrees. Just gets you a lot of education, but no yeah. degrees. Okay. Yep. So that's Those where I was. Those sound like great classes for training people, though, psychology and biochemistry. Yeah, it was. It was um, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed I enjoyed learning. I wasn't a huge fan of school. Um, Fair enough. Uh, only because they would force me to do things I thought was stupid. <laughs> Uh, I like to debate and I got into a lot of debates with my professors, okay. um, I was studying that and, um, actually I got kicked out of school and that's where I found training in oh, CrossFit. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, so then at some point, at what point did you finally start training at an affiliate? I didn't start training at an affiliate until I moved to Colorado in 2009. Okay. Um, I got a job, my first job, um, as at an actual CrossFit affiliate um, in a gym in Centennial, Colorado. Okay. And that was the first time I'd ever actually worked out in a mm-hmm. CrossFit affiliate. That's so you were doing it for quite a while, for a couple of years before you had been in an affiliate. What mm-hmm. what sort of new aspect did that bring to your training? Uh, for that gym, not a lot. It, it wasn't the best gym. So she okay. was. Uh, it was a the, the owner uh, was a nice enough lady. She was just very kettlebell heavy, and she I was coming from a barbell background. I okay. think the gym had one barbell. Oh, wow. Okay. And then like an entire wall of kettlebells. Um, so it was, it was a little different. I had to uh, try to put my own personal preferences for training aside and kind of coach the way she wanted me to coach for a little while. And then um, we ended up splitting. I ended up quitting a year later um, after my first yeah, after my first stint at regionals. Okay. 
And then what drew you into wanting to compete in CrossFit? I mean, it sounds like you were naturally competitive and you wanted mm-hmm. to, you didn't want to lose. So yeah. it seems like a natural fit, but when did you make that choice? Uh, that was right before I moved to Colorado, actually. Okay. Um, I had a friend that I trained with, um, and I remember the dot-com workout was like running and power cleans and pull-ups. Okay. And I remember I was, it was like an AMRAP because I remember it was two or three reps away from beating Chris Spieler. Ooh. Of course, he had no clue I was. I was just always watching him yeah. on the main side. And I turned to my friend. I was like, dude, I almost caught Chris Spieler. And he's like, Kevin, you will never be good enough to compete with Chris Spieler. <laughs> and I was like, all right, well, I guess I got a new goal. <laughs> so I think I actually snapped a photo and sent it to him the first year I actually got to compete with Chris at regionals. Oh, that's sweet. Very cool. Um so you, what was the first year you were at regionals? 2010. 2010. Okay. Um, and it sounds like you kind of went a long way from when you started CrossFit. You weren't really doing too hot, too mm-hmm. hot and running the 400s yeah. to then competing at regionals. Um, what were some of the biggest things that you think allowed you to succeed in that competition environment? Oh, um, I think it's a lot of my competitive nature. Mm-hmm. I think most of it is the fact that I have really short limbs. <laughs> that helps. As we saw with what, Carrie Pierce and Mary yeah. <laughs> the other day. <laughs> so I'm, I'm uh, a little taller than yeah. your average CrossFitter. So I'm 6'3". Okay. So I, I think the short limbs help. That is I, very tall for a CrossFitter, yeah. Um, I'm also very hard-headed and stubborn. So yeah. I, I will literally almost die before I yeah. just let someone beat me. That helps too. So that, sure. that was probably the only thing that saved me. I, I was known for going out really hot and sprinting mm-hmm. and then just dying and trying to hang on for hang as long on. as I could. Yeah. That was kind of my MO. So didn't get the whole pacing thing. No, I was not a pacer. <laughs> I was, I've been a sprinter my whole life and I don't think I've ever learned how to pace. Yeah. <laughs> Keeps things fun. <laughs> Keeps things painful. <laughs> That's one way to think about it. Yeah. All right. So when, how many years did you go to regionals? Uh, I went to regionals 2010 to 2013. Okay. And then 2014 mm-hmm. was obviously a big year. That was the year mm-hmm. of your injury. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about that. Yeah. I know everyone is probably aware who's listening, but to get it from your perspective, mm-hmm. um, I remember it really well because it was my, I was at that competition and it was my first competition back after I had taken a year off from competing. So it definitely sticks sticks out in my memory. But what were you feeling like kind of going into that competition? It was a you know, it was a OC throwdown. It wasn't, um, a CrossFit quote unquote competition at the yeah. time, but why'd you choose to do that one? What, how were you feeling when you went into it? Um, we, I had done that one the year before okay. and we usually did it cause there was just a large base of really good, um, athletes that mm-hmm. usually competed at regionals mm-hmm. or open or games. And so it was kind of a nice little testing ground for us to make sure our training was going the right way before going into the open so we could switch anything up we needed to before regionals. Yeah. Good time of year. Yeah. Yeah. And so we just kind of took it at that and, um, Honestly, I'd been doing better than I ever had. Um, I had switched into a more um, cardio-specific program, so I was doing a lot better um, competitively because mm-hmm. I had been doing a lot of barbell stuff just because mm-hmm. I liked it. Yeah. Um, so I was feeling really good. Uh, that event for me probably would have been my best event of the weekend at the time. Barbell, I, yeah. Yeah. I think at the time I was snatching somewhere around 300 pounds. Okay, and wow. And that was in 2014. Not many people were snatching 300 pounds. Yeah, the barbell was just kind of my jam. Yeah. So I think it was the snatch, back squat, and jerk, I think. Yeah. Um, so those those three movements weren't weren't bad for me. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so I was actually really excited about that, that movement because we had mm-hmm. just done a long endurance piece. Um, yes, the barbell. <laughs> finally, something short and heavy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so really excited about it. Um, I had actually warmed up and hit my what I thought was going to be my opener beforehand in the warm-up area, mm-hmm. uh, which was going to be 245. Mm-hmm. Um, and then walking out, my coach told me that no one had had snatched more than, I think, 225. Okay. So I even dropped it down 10 pounds. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I'm just going to go. Yeah, play it safe. Go lighter, play it safe, and then see what happens. Yeah. And um, only got one attempt. Man. Mm-hmm. So what, what is your recollection of what happened in that moment? Oh, uh, we actually have a frame by frame, so we can tell you so exactly. You've watched what, it. Um, I've not watched the video. You I've seen the okay. frame by frame. Okay. Uh, the video thing would be a little harder for me. Yeah, I can't imagine. We actually just finished up um, the first part of a court case with. Oh wow. With the OC throwdown finally okay. after five years, and so we had to watch and view and go over all this stuff. <sighs> just uh, like Monday. Oh my gosh. <clears throat> yeah. So. 
Um, I went to go snatch at 235, caught it a little far back, mm-hmm. um, felt a little off balance and kind of, I remember thinking bail before you snap your elbow, Okay. kind of one of those catches. And yeah. so I just went to go bail backwards and jump forwards. Um, but there, I don't know if you remember this, but there was a slant to the platform. So all the bars kept rolling back into mm-hmm. athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I couldn't get out of the way. Okay. And so the barbell came down and hit my left shoulder. Um, and bounced off of me Mm -hmm. and had the plates not been stacked behind us the way they were it would just roll backwards but it hit the plates behind me and you can actually watch it in the video um it shoots the plates back and the barbell hits my hips and lifts my hips off the ground and severs my spine wow that's crazy Mm -hmm. what what did you feel when that happened was it like instant pain oh yeah um it's like getting hit by a car in your back and then every single nerve on your body was set on fire. fire. So like immediate shock, immediate uh, nerve pain, head to toe, everywhere. And it was constant. It was, it was bad. It was really bad. Wow. And then I know you were rushed off to the hospital. Do you remember much of all of it? Yeah. I never went, I was never unconscious. I was conscious the entire time. I remember having conversations on the floor with um, my training partner's wife who was a, a medic, mm-hmm. um, my best friend who was out there watching, um, talking to them, talking to other people. Uh, I remember every, dri- I remember pretty much every corner and really turn vivid, and yeah. yeah, very vivid. Um, I didn't actually get knocked out or drugged until I got to the hospital and they put me in MRI wow. and they only did that cause I insisted cause I am wow. wildly claustrophobic. <laughs> yeah. Okay. MRI is no joke. I've had one MRI on my neck and I was super, I had to come out. I was like, I need, yeah. can't do this. I needed to, they ended up putting, um, like a mirror so I could actually see out the end. And then I was, it was acceptable, but yeah. it, I am not they don't, a fan of small they don't, they don't make like an extra large MRI. No. So my shoulders touch the sides. Oh my gosh. So I'm literally like in MRIs like this. Yeah. No, that's terrifying. They couldn't do it. So they had to, uh, they eventually had to, um, knock me unconscious and they couldn't give me anything for pain, um, because they didn't know. What was, what was going, going on? on. They and wanted so, to be able to test. What, yeah. yeah. Oh my and gosh. so it, that, that nerve pain insisted until uh, they knocked me out for the MRI. Wow. So they did the MRI. Mm-hmm. At what point did you hear any news about what injuries you actually I think it was, I mean, again, I was drugged at this point, yeah. but I think it was a few hours later, the doctor came in he's like, Mr. Oga has some bad news. And I was like, I'm paralyzed. I get it. <laughs> like, like, it's pretty, know. pretty obvious. Yeah. My legs aren't moving. Um, and they told me that we had to have surgery and, um, we were gonna have that surgery about nine hours. And in that time I had nine hours to tell people goodbye. Cause there was about 15% chance of surviving. Oh my gosh. 15% chance of surviving the surgery. And what was this? What was the surgery? And it was a spinal thoracotomy. Okay. So they had to come in. So because of the way the barbell hit me and the way it um, Mm -hmm. separated or uh, dislocated my my vertebrae and severed the spine completely, they didn't. They couldn't go in through the back and realign it. Okay. um, Because they probably would have caused more damage. They didn't really know where my spine was at, so they had to come in from the side. So they had to dislocate my ribs, deflate my lungs, um, pull out some of my organs, and then go in through the top and then inch by inch realign my spine. Wow. Um, do you that, know how like far it was severed or I have a picture of it actually. You do. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah, I have a, um, uh, well now I have the inside of me, but I have the yeah. x-ray. Yeah. The x-ray. Um, and it, it looks like it's pretty much on two different sides of my body. So, uh, That's I mean, insane. uh, my T11 is barely touching my T12. Wow. Mm-hmm. And aside from that, were there any other like nope. internal organ injuries or anything? Everything else, else is fine. I don't, I didn't even fracture my vertebrae. I had one small, I guess I had one small fracture, mm-hmm. um, uh, from where the vertebrae connect, but that was it. The rest of my vertebrae are hundred percent intact. Wow. So the only thing it did, it, it hit me so perfectly on my disc that it just tore through the disc and tore the spine. That's crazy. fourth of an inch in any other direction. My doctor said it either would have been instantly dead mm-hmm. or would have stood up and walked away from it. Oh my gosh. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Who was with you as you were not at home? No. I mean, you had, I know you had training partners and mm-hmm. some people there, but who was with you when you were there in the hospital? Oh, everyone was there. <laughs> um, family ended up flying out. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, a guy named Isaac Toomer, who's I've known for, for years, drove from Vegas just to see me. He like went oh. to three different hospitals because no one would tell him where I was at. Oh my gosh. Um, just everyone ended up flying out or I had two or three friends who just randomly were out there that same weekend for business who came down to see me. So I was, I was pretty well kept company. 
Wow. So, I, I mean, first of all, I can't imagine going into a surgery with someone telling you that you have a 15% chance of surviving the surgery. But what, um, when you finally woke up, mm-hmm. what were your first thoughts? First thoughts I remember. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm sure there was a lot of like <laughs> yeah. anesthesia and things happening in between. But um, I remember thinking that since I was alive, that that God had a purpose for me. Mm-hmm. Like this, this was supposed to be the way it is. And mm-hmm. if this was the purpose, then I was going to live with it. And you know, having woken up to the whole CrossFit community behind you and uh, raising all that money, it's kind of like, all right, this is definitely the purpose. That's huge. Yeah. Were you? Did you have a very strong faith? Prior to going into this, I uh, grew up in a great family and still great faith in me growing up. And it's just always been one of those things like I was really stupid and dumb when I was a kid. And um, I feel like for me, the, the, my faith side of that is what kind of pulled me through and um, allowed me to see the positive side instead of wallowing. Mm-hmm. It also allows me to kind of look at it like even though I've lost my leg, I've gained so much more in, in the aspect of like what I think my purpose on this earth is, is and what God put me here for. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's a, that's a huge part of why I'm still around. That's amazing perspective. Um, I'm sure it's taken time to gain that perspective after, uh, as we're talking about, you know, first waking up from surgery, I'm sure there was a million different stages of kind of your mental, emotional state, obviously, mm-hmm. as well as your physical state, as you then started your recovery. Um, what were, what were some of the things that helped you most along the way? Uh, my friends, mm-hmm. the CrossFit community, um, my sense of humor. Yes, I know. Um, <laughs> I know you have a good sense of humor. I make a lot of really <laughs> bad jokes, uh, lots of puns, lots of inappropriate jokes. Um, <laughs> as you found out, like five years ago. Yes, when we first met, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, did you just say that?" <laughs> uh, I, think, I believe the name of the team that you got put on was Kevin's Legs. Yes, it was. It was all my friends. They it had was. a team named Kevin's Legs because they do all the work for me. <laughs> it was a good team. Um, they're fun. Um, so I think that was a lot of it. Like I had a lot of good friends who came around and knew, um, I was really fortunate enough that the hospital I did my rehab in was five minutes from my home. Okay. And so all my friends were there constantly. Um, so that was, that was probably a huge part of it. That's huge. Mm. So at what point then you're in California, this hospital, at what point then did you end up going back to Colorado to the, it was a Craig, Yep. Mm -hmm. Craig hospital, hospital. Uh, 11 days. I was in hospital in California for 11 days. Okay. And going back to, to when you said you first woke up and you felt this kind of presence of the CrossFit community, I know there was a huge fundraising efforts Mm -hmm. happening right away. There was obviously a lot of, um, you know, it, I mean, it happened very publicly in this competition. And so what, like how much money had they raised and, and what, in what ways were you feeling the support from the um, CrossFit community? I think at that point it was just under $300,000. Wow. And like we were receiving messages from all over the world, from like Germany, Japan, yeah, uh, Australia, like South America, like all over the world, just streaming in like thousands and thousands a day. It was overwhelming to say the least. It was, it was incredible. Wow. It really instilled a, a need to give back. Like yeah. you see all these people giving to you, even though you've never met them before. And like immediately for me, at least it was like, well, I owe these people something. Yeah. So. Wow. Um, okay. So you're back Craig rehab, rehab hospital. Tell us about what happened while you were there. Craig is a great facility. Um, they're truly amazing at what they do. So they did a really good job. I was only there for six weeks. Um, but you go in there, like when I went in there, I couldn't sit up couldn't tie my own shoes. Um, like you're, you're literally a newborn, yeah. like starting from square, one. starting completely from scratch. Wow. Um, couldn't even shower myself. Couldn't go to the bathroom. It was, it was literally starting from scratch. Wow. Uh, and in six weeks they got me to a place where I could do all those things by myself. And then some like taught you wheel, how to deal with a wheelchair, how to go in and out of doors in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. Um, they'd even at that point started teaching me how to get up off the floor. Um, if I fall out of my chair. So mm-hmm. they, they do a really great job of, teaching you how to handle the, the wheelchair life outside mm-hmm. of them. Yeah. I can imagine it's like, like you said, you're a newborn, like it's mm-hmm. a completely new way that you have to navigate life. Yeah. And I think what really makes them, like they have nurses there and I, I think it would be really hard for me at least to be, uh, to do the job those nurses and doctors do because they're literally experiencing some of these people at the worst times in their life. And some of them aren't very nice about it. I can imagine it's just, and it's everyone has a, a different way of dealing yeah. with that 
Yeah. And it's rough, but I will tell you this, everyone I dealt with there, it was the most caring and like understanding person. Like they would get yelled and screamed at and they'd be like, all right, hon, love you. See you in a little bit. <laughs> and it's just, it was really amazing. Wow. That is amazing. And I know you still stay connected and, mm-hmm. and go back and mentor some people going through there. Yep. Um, what does that look like? Or what are some of the things that you hope to help people who are going through or just starting this process? Well, we do it a couple ways. So we offer, um, Craig brings new patients over, um, like once a month, once every other month, whenever they have enough people Mm -hmm. that want to come do it. And they come, my gym's, uh, five minutes from there. And so they bring a whole busload over and we put them through a mini workout. And I usually have a few of my other, um, uh, wheelchair athletes there. And we Mm -hmm. sit down for a couple hours afterwards and just chat and talk and answer questions and, I mean, that's similar to what I do if I go back for myself and talk to them. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't really like, so they do, Craig does a really great job of teaching you how to deal with things. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's always still that same, that same fear of like, what's life going to look like after this? Is this livable? Is this yeah. something I even want to do? Yeah. Um, and it doesn't matter how many times a doctor and nurse can tell you like, Hey, you're going to be fine. This is good. Yeah. Like you're okay. Um, when you see them standing on two legs, you're like, yeah, well piss off, bud. Like you yeah. don't, you don't really know what you're talking about. And so I know for me, when I was at Craig having people come in who were also in wheelchairs and being like, dude, you're fine. Like you're young, you're strong. Um, you're you're going to be okay. Meant a a thousand times more than anything a doctor and nurse ever said. Yeah. Um, so I'm just trying to return that favor and go back and do the same thing for someone else. And sometimes it requires, like, I don't think doctors and nurses can legally say some of the stuff I say to patients, Mm -hmm. um, because sometimes people just need a little bit of tough love and told to suck it up. Um, yeah. So, um, did you feel that, like, did you feel like that was helpful for you when you were going, like just starting your recovery process, tough love in, tough. in what way? <laughs> um, I think the tough love I received was, was to be told not to be an idiot. Okay. I, I think I wanted to do too much too soon. Okay. Um, I was sneaking out of the hospital, go back to my CrossFit gym. Oh man. Um, so yeah, talk about that. Like, you know, you obviously had this injury some people may say, I never want to touch another barbell again, but you were sneaking out to go yeah. work out. It was, I mean, it wasn't the barbell's fault. They like, they didn't like yeah. the barbell didn't stack plates behind me. Yeah. Like even the person that did stack those plates didn't mean to injure me. It was a freak one in a million accident. Like yeah. how many people can you even think of that have been paralyzed by a barbell? Yeah. I don't know if there's or, any, like, I know of one I, other, know one other. Okay. I know of one other. Um, and that's, you know, out of millions of people who have done the sport, mm-hmm. um, and so it was never, never made sense to me to blame the barbell or to blame the movement or, um, especially blame CrossFit for any of that. It wasn't any of their faults. They didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew from training people for so long and being around barbells for so long that the only way I was going to get back to being a happy and healthy individual was going back to what I was doing that made me happy and healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would sneak out and I would go into the gym and I would do some bicep curls yeah. or play around with some rings or do whatever and then go back to the hospital. That's super cool. Um, so talking a little bit about your gym, cause you opened your gym 2015, more recently, 2015. Um, is that something that you had always thought about owning a gym or at what point did you decide that was something you wanted to do? I never wanted to own a gym. No, no. <laughs> you just wanted to work out. I and, wanted to coach. Yeah. That's coach. all I wanted to do. I didn't want to own a gym. Um, I was coaching at another gym previously for I think like four to six years, somewhere in there. Um, basically from the time I moved out to Colorado on, um, and, um, that gym happened to shut down. Um, and I'd spent all that, all that time really trying to build this community of people. And I really didn't want to lose that. And Mm -hmm. I was fortunate enough that CrossFit provided me the opportunity, um, to, to open my gym. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I just went for it. Um, and when I opened it, I made the decision that we would make the gym someplace for people who actually needed it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, uh, you know, the, these games athletes are awesome and they're super fit and it's really cool to watch, but it just doesn't, 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 doesn't do it for me. Like it doesn't make me excited. Mm-hmm. They're not, they're not the ones who need it. They already yeah. have it. So, yeah. um, I wanted to make the gym for adaptive, like people like myself or people who are struggling with, you know, um, mood disorders or physical disabilities or addiction or recovery from anything. And so we kind of made the gym a place for that. That's awesome. Using fitness as a tool to help people through some of those different Uh, challenges. I think fitness is a tool. I think the community that we build is a bigger tool. Mm -hmm. Um, The fitness is cool, but they can do it in the garage. You're not going to experience a community like that outside of a CrossFit gym. And I think, I think that's what pulled me through. And I think, 
that's what pulls a lot of people through mm-hmm. um, to have people who are counting on them, hold them accountable, but also are, are giving them a loving environment. Mm-hmm. So that's what we try to create. What are some things that you intentionally do at your gym to build that community? Or to set the culture? Uh, I don't know if I did anything. I'm going to put that all on my coaches. <laughs> um, okay. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sarcastic and, I, and I'm pretty laid back. So we, we don't really train um, competitive athletes. Mm-hmm. Like we have a gym close to us who's, who are, who, they're great and they're amazing mm-hmm. at training competitive athletes. So if someone come in, comes in and wants to be competitive, I just send them over there. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think it's just the community that, that happened to pop up around us. Like my coaches are awesome and they're caring. And if they don't know, they're going to go figure it out. And mm-hmm everyone's treated the same regardless as if you have, you know, 10 muscle ups or zero muscle ups. Yeah. And, um, I don't know. We're just, I would, I would put my coaching staff up against any other coaching staff in the country. Um, and maybe not as far as like they know everything, but they, they care enough about everyone that they will figure it out. Yeah. At the um, end of the day, that's the most important part. Right? Yeah. You can't teach that. Yeah. Um, so I think that was a big one. I think I just lucked out and got some really amazing coaches and they have built this incredibly phenomenal community that truly cares about each other. And, mm-hmm. Um, is welcoming to everyone. That's mm-hmm. the thing we hear most when people drop into our gyms. Like I've never felt more at home mm-hmm. than at this gym. That's so awesome. that, that I take a lot of pride in that. And Megan is still there. Yeah. Megan okay. still runs the place. Yeah, I remember cause I used to train mm-hmm. with her back in the day. She would come to Michigan every once in a while. Yeah. So that's yeah. awesome. Megan's still there. She's still, she, she is the main, probably the main reason that place would not be open without her. <laughs> um, with all, all my traveling and all my, I'm very, um, We'll call it sporadic minded. Okay. Um, she, she does a lot she of the work. In line. Yeah. She keeps things in line. She, she does a lot of work to, to make up for my idiocy. So <laughs> that's awesome. Um, talk a little bit about, I want to talk a little bit about just the adaptive community. Cause mm-hmm. obviously you were welcomed with open arms. I think Absolutely. it has grown tremendously. And I think, you know, even as far as now you're teaching seminars, you're teaching other trainers how to work with adaptive athletes. Um, who were some of the first people that you met and then what has come out of those discussions and that community? Yeah. I, I think the very first one I met was a guy named Chris Stoutenberg, uh-huh. um, and then Stephanie Hammerman. Uh, they reached out to me about the same time. Um, and then two other guys, Gustavo Marquez and then Angel Gonzalez, um, Angel owns a gym down in Houston. Stouty is on staff with us now, and, and Steph just opened her own gym out in North Carolina. Yes, I saw. I'm so excited for her. Yeah, she's awesome. And so they, they opened up, and they uh, messaged me or mailed. And Steph actually sent me a letter, like an actual letter. In, in like, the mail. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, and <laughs> I didn't think people still did that. But she's like, I figured everyone else was sending you, like, online messages. I wanted to get your attention. Yeah, it worked. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so between you know, those four, they were kind of like, dude, you're going to be okay. We get that this sucks, but let, let us know if you have any questions. And yeah. they, they really were people I leaned on for the first, I mean, I honestly still to this day, I still mm-hmm. lean on them for a lot of things that I don't know. And they don't, um, where I, I like, I'd get a spasm in my foot or something like that. And I'd freak out and I'd text mm-hmm. Stouty and Angel and they're like, dude, it's a spasm. Calm down. <laughs> you're you're being be a okay. baby. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they, they've been doing it for a couple of years and they were the first to do it. And it was really cool to see, um, what they had already figured out and we just kind of ran with it from there mm-hmm. pun intended <laughs> running running away um and what are you doing now with the adaptive seminar what is the the audience what is the goal mm-hmm. so we uh we just transitioned into the adaptive training academy okay. um and so now we're putting same seminar same mm-hmm. seminar we've been putting on through crossfit now we're just a crossfit preferred course mm-hmm. um so the only literally same support from cross and everything. The only thing that's really switched is that we're fully in control of our intellectual property, mm-hmm. which is really nice. That's awesome. Um, so we're going around the, around the country, around the world, teaching, um, adaptive fitness and, and the principles in which we do it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, right now it's a one day course. Hopefully by middle of next year, we'll have a two day course. Cause right now we're only focused on like physical impairments or the, like, um, uh, physiological impairments, um, you know, uh, paralysis, um, CP, MS, mm-hmm. um, amputation, BPIs, stuff like that. Um, but we're hoping to get a second day for things like auditory, visual, and uh, cognitive impairments. Okay. Um, and I know you're also, you also founded a nonprofit. Is it Reveille? Reveille. Reveille. Yeah. Okay. You're the looking, first people to ever say it yeah, right. Looking yeah. at the word, it's kind of hard to sound out, but, um, actually where did the name come from just to start with? So, uh, I'm sure most people have heard it cause it's been on like cartoons and stuff like that. Have you ever heard like the wake up trumpet blast for the military? 
Probably. Like do 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 do. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's it's called the Reveille. Oh. Um, okay. And so, um, my buddy Ryan, my best friend, who was actually there when I got oh, paralyzed, okay. he was ten feet away. Um, he was in the Marines. Um, served two tours overseas. Got blown up both times. Wow. Um, came back with a lot of uh, mood disorder, TBI, mm-hmm. neck issues, and kind of first two years out of the Marines just really didn't do well. Mm-hmm. Um, came into the CrossFit gym I happened to be coaching at, and we just became really close friends. He would come to my classes all the time. We'd sit and chat for hours afterwards, get breakfast, stuff like that. And he um, completely flipped around, like really stopped drinking, stopped going out, doing stupid stuff. Um, complete 180 and he came in one day and he, he's like hey I really want to help vets man I, I got this idea for a clothing line and I was like well I got some contacts in certain places so we'll go talk to him and so we went to go talk to one of my buddies and he's like that's stupid don't do that <laughs> he's like whatever you guys did with Ryan do that and so that's where the idea came from and so um, the Reveille Projects offer we offer a, a one-year scholarship for veterans who have mood disorders or physical disabilities okay. and we cover the cost of CrossFit gym membership uh, monthly nutritional counseling sessions. We uh, pay for four physical therapy sessions within that year, and we also get them connected to companies like FaithRx so they can do like faith-based action projects. Because okay. um, we truly believe that uh, you know, uh, fitness, nutrition, community, and faith are the four pillars of a whole human. I love that. Beautiful. Um, how many people have you been able to sponsor so far? Since 2015, we've put almost 50 vets through the program. Wow, mm-hmm. that's amazing. And I saw, um, I remember watching Cha- Tosh mm-hmm. he, when he did his run, his locked and loaded yeah. 24 hour run. I think that was for the, that was for us. Yeah. For the re- Reveille. Yeah. <laughs> um, that was amazing. I mean, it's so cool to see the support Tosh around been, it. Tosh has been a huge, huge support to ours. Um, oddly enough, uh, Ryan and, and Tosh save with some, serve with some of the same people. Okay. Um, uh, in fact, I, I believe in th- they could correct me if I'm wrong on this one, but we do generally when we open a new Reveille gym, so we contract out to gyms and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, we always do the workout Zimbic, which okay. is, uh, Ryan's commander. And that was one of uh, Tasha's really good friends in the military who, who, um, passed away. Wow. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, that you do the workout. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so how, if someone wanted to apply for one of these mm-hmm. scholarships, how would they do that? So we have a website and you can apply for it or you can refer someone that you think needs our help okay. and we will reach out to them. So it's uh, the Okay. and we um, will reach out to them or they can reach out to us. And if we have a gym in their area, we'll, we'll start plugging them in with that um, immediately, like mm-hmm. help first, we'll figure it out later type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, if we don't have a gym in their area, that's one of the things we have a booth downstairs here at the games and, um, one of the things we're trying to do is get more gyms interested so we can go nationwide mm-hmm. and, and really make it so we don't have to turn down vets and say, hey, we can't help you because we don't have gyms in the area. Um, so we're really trying to find more gyms mm-hmm. outside of the state of Colorado um, to help us out and, and um, let, allow us to put vets into their gyms. Awesome. And is there some training that the gym goes through just to kind of understand <clears throat> Um, philosophy a, or? a little bit. Um, not, not a ton. I don't think a lot of it's needed. A lot of these guys are pretty pretty good fits for the communities what we do is i actually go over the gym's programming so i actually look at what what they do and make sure i can see a a thought process behind what they do yeah um and then the biggest part of it is we just go out there and experience them like we 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 get gyms after we go out there and do some classes with them or hang out with them or you know you know try to feel out if we think the gym's gonna be a good fit and then we go into those gyms it's a good test so you know you're getting someplace that's been Mm -hmm. Tested and approved. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, generally we go out and do at least one workout, if not a couple. And okay. Uh, afterwards, me and Ryan always sit down. It's like, hey, how'd you feel about that? Like, yeah. did you like this? You like that? And um, and most gyms are phenomenal. Some some of them are, are pretty good, and, and some of them just don't have the the military presence or that attitude mm-hmm. that we're looking for. And mm-hmm. it's not an insult to that gym; they're a phenomenal gym. It's just yeah. uh, sometimes the the these vets need to be around other veterans. Right. Just like you said, it's I think always easier. If you're around people who have been through something yeah. similar, for sure. And then you said you're also still teaching level one seminars. So you're, I am. it sounds like you are traveling quite a lot. How many weekends are you actually home? Uh, I think last year I ended up traveling like 45 or 46 oh weekends. Oh my gosh. Uh, this year has been a little less. Okay. I, I think I'll end up with like yeah. high 30s. Yeah. So what are some of the unique, obviously at, at the adaptive seminars, you know, you're teaching how to coach adaptive athletes, mm-hmm. but at the level one seminars, what are some of the unique challenges for you in that setting? 
Well, I'm definitely not demoing the squat. <laughs> That's fair to say. Yeah. Um, so I, th- I think for Have me. Have you ever like gotten written in for the squat or someone like overlooked it and was like, oh, Kevin's doing the squat today? No, <laughs> no. I have convinced uh, Tosh and a few others to make the joke that, I was, that they called me up to demo the squat. <laughs> and just see what the participants do. Yeah, it's a 50-50. Sometimes they don't like that joke and sometimes uh, they really do. Yeah, you have uh, to be careful. Yeah. I remember Tosh did it one time and the crowd did not enjoy it. Not like that. It was fine. I thought it was hilarious. (laughs) Um, I think one of the biggest challenges for me with level ones is just making sure that I feel useful. Like I'm not demoing. Um, I can teach breakout Mm -hmm. groups. I can lecture. Um, I can help set up to a point. I'm not going to be as fast at it. And so, I mean, mean, as you know, there's a lot that goes on with level one where it really just depends on counting on those around you to do what they're supposed to. um, So I think for me, just making sure that whatever I'm assigned and whatever I can do, I actually end up getting done. Mm -hmm. For sure. Especially I think in those early days where basically all you can do is demo Mm -hmm. mainly and teacher groups. And so I think, um, or even like interning, at least sometimes they allow you to demo a little bit. And so it's, it's always good to feel like you're able to contribute something. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that that was actually, I think I even asked like David Nicole one time, like, are you guys sure you guys want me on staff? (laughs) I will, That's I, funny that you I love that. it and I want it and so badly, but like, are you, sh- are you sure you haven't made a mistake here? <laughs> I'm sure everyone, I, I think I felt the exact same way. Like it's just such a, it's such a kind of prestigious job to have yeah. within the community. And so I think probably all of us are like, I don't know. Are you sure that this is? <laughs> yeah. And, and for me, like having been around, um, like, the Sharees and Matt Chans yeah. and Eric O'Connors and all yeah. these guys and like watching them teach and like Chris Miller watching them right. compete and being around all of them knowing like how good they were at, yeah. at what they did and being like all right well these guys are really good right I'm okay right are you sure this is where I belong but it's amazing to learn from them I oh mean, yeah I love yeah just to, I've I've learned so much just from listening to all the way that people lecture the way that they communicate present mm-hmm. information and we hear that week after week the participants are just wowed by the presentation yeah you know because it's unlike any other seminar i think agreed um so you know you talked a lot about how you have this sort of great sense of purpose now and you know some positives that have come from this experience but i'm sure that it doesn't always feel like that every day in your <laughs> yeah. day-to-day and i'm sure that it evolves you know year after year but when you have some of those moments that are maybe not the best or when you're not feeling a little bit down on yourself, mm-hmm. how do you help to turn that around? Um, I think those days are natural and normal. And like, even to this day, I still have them. Like mm-hmm. there's days I just don't want to do things or I don't yeah. feel good or like get, even getting up off a couch is just hard. Uh, I don't know. I feel like I, I honestly don't know where I'd be without my family and my faith. I think those are two big things in my life that I really count on. And I think when I have those really bad days, I let myself have those bad days, but I also remind myself during those bad days that like, I'm not living this life for me. I'm living this life for the God that put me here and the family that supports me. And I, th- I think, um, keeping that in mind when I really feel like I don't want to do things has really spurred me like the next day. Okay. You had your bad day, but remember you're, you're living for someone else. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really helped me a ton. Yeah. So having some patience for yourself, letting yourself kind of go through those emotions naturally, but then stepping back and look at the bigger picture. Yeah. Patience for myself is hard. I'm not a very yeah, patient person I with myself. That yeah. A few minutes ago. Yeah. Not very patient with myself. <laughs> Other people I, I like being patient yeah. with, but myself, I don't have a lot of patience for. Well, I bet you've gotten a lot better. A ton, I've had to. Yeah. <laughs> you kind of have to at a certain point. It's one of those like laugh, cry or scream type moments sometimes. Yeah. You just have to kind of figure it out. Sometimes all at once. Yeah. So I'm sure you've had plenty of people coming up to you and telling you how maybe you've affected their lives or changed their lives in some way. What do you hope you said, you know, you mentioned now you have this platform, you have this ability to, um, kind of like for God to act through you to Mm -hmm. impact other people. What are you hoping that message is or what are you, in what way are you hoping to impact people who are watching? I think we've seen, at least I've seen, um, and I, I would wager that the other guys in the adaptive staff will say the same thing. I think we've seen a lot of these, these to be athletes, these, uh, persons with disabilities, um, be told no, or that they can't. And then they just give up or they stop and they've never actually tried. And they're only told no because, you know, of some statistic that says they're probably not going to. Mm-hmm. 
um, but they've never tried for themselves. And, I, and I've always thought that was kind of weird. Um, and what we're finding is that when we get these people to try, those statistics are wrong mm-hmm. and that they're based off people who don't want to do any better. And, and so they have this whole vast life of, of functionality that they haven't even began to tap because someone somewhere along the road said, Hey, don't do that. Mm-hmm. Or, Hey, you can't do that. Or yeah. you should be careful because you're already broken. And I think, I think my big goal is, is to allow them to understand that like, yeah, you, you may have some broken parts and pieces, but you know, it, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't try to better those things. You shouldn't try to and push the limits of your athleticism just because someone told you no. Mm-hmm. I mean, imagine an able-bodied person. Imagine the CrossFit games of half of these athletes had been told no and they just stopped right. and hadn't pushed the limit. We wouldn't be seeing what we're seeing this weekend. No, it's it's insane what those guys can do. And I, I think it's insane what some of these adaptive athletes can do because they didn't stop when someone told them no. Mm-hmm. And I think we need more and more people out there reminding them that uh, just because you were told no once doesn't mean you shouldn't try mm-hmm. and, and that you, you can, you can do a lot more than you think. Yeah. And what a great message for anyone really. I mean, I think about like the type of patients that I'm working with now in primary care and a lot of people with chronic disease and a lot of those people, it, it looks like the environment that they've surrounded themselves where they think that they accept that this is what their fate is where, you know, well, everyone in my family gets diabetes when mm-hmm. they're 50 or everyone you know, is overweight or this is just how life is. And if you can see those examples and they're tangible to you of people who are doing it differently and who are really trying to push the boundaries of what their body is capable of, it's amazing what can happen. Yeah. I I think it's across the board. I I mean, I've had, as I'm sure most gym owners have had, um, had people come in and be like, yeah, I'm type two diabetic. My doctor says all I can do is take insulin. And I just, I just hurts. It hurts inside here because someone told them that they had to stop being human. Yeah. Um, so I think that's, I think that's my biggest thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Like how powerful the mind is in a positive and a negative way. Like if you put limits on things, how that really does impact people's behavior versus if you, you know, open the realm of possibility, what people are capable of. It's a behavioral psychology. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. All those classes coming in handy. Came in handy. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, I want to start wrapping up. Um, there's three questions I ask everyone at the end of the podcast. The first one is what are the three things that you do on a regular basis that have the biggest positive impact on your health? Biggest three. Mm -hmm. I would probably say for me personally, um, showering food prep and and working out that's good by far yeah three good ones um what about one thing that you think would have a big impact on your health but you have a hard time implementing it squatting squatting (laughs) Mm -hmm. for sure okay come on you have to give me another one that's not fair (laughs) uh that i have problems implementing it um I think I could afford to do more gymnastic work or just more cardio, anything that's just, I, I do tend to bias towards stuff that is heavy. I yeah, like it. Yeah. Short sprint type stuff. I sure. think I would really benefit from sure. anything other than that. But it's still amazing. I mean, the stuff that you guys do like on the ropes, yeah. it's just crazy. <laughs> it's so cool. Um, okay. Last question is what does a healthy life look like to you? A healthy life. Um, I kind of feel like a healthy life is a giving life mm-hmm. in a short way of saying it. I, I think, um, don't get me wrong. I'm all for like self care and taking care of yourself. Sure. But I think if you make yourself the center of anything, it uh, turns out poorly for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so for me personally, like putting, putting God at the center and my family around that is, is a healthy life for me. But you know, I think, I think putting something other than yourself at the center of your life is, mm-hmm. is what a healthy life is. I love it. And, you know, you do have to take care of yourself in order to give, um, but keeping that in mind, right? Like, yeah. why am I doing all of this stuff at the end of the day? Is it just so that I'm, you know, if we're all sitting in this perfect, perfect box being these healthy people, but yeah. we're not actually influencing the world and interacting with the communities around us, then what's it really worth? Yeah. I've, I've always said, you know, self-care is great and take care of yourself so you can take care of others. But if you start taking care of yourself because you think you're more important than others, that's where we have a problem. I love that. That's a great quote. Oh. It's a perfect note to end on. <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> Did you come up with that yourself? Uh, sure. Just now? I, I guess, yeah. <laughs> I love it. Awesome. Well, this has been great. Yeah, Thank thanks, you so Julie. much for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me. 
Yes. And wishing you all the best with the seminars, the gym project. Um, hopefully people listening will check those out as well. Yeah, absolutely. I hope so too. Awesome. Thank Thanks. you. Hi there. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode. Kevin is certainly a role model for so many of us, and I had tons of takeaways from this conversation. But as always, here are my top three takeaways. Number one is keep your circle close. It was very clear from this conversation and from my other interactions with Kevin that he has an incredibly close circle of friends and family that has played a key role in his recovery and his life. You never know when something unexpected might happen to you or someone in your own circle, but having those people you can count on no matter what and who have your very best interest at heart and will be there for you through thick and thin is invaluable. So just a reminder to take time to nurture those relationships and be there for your circle in big and small ways day to day because this is incredibly important. Number two is always focus on getting better. So Kevin talks about his, some of his frustrations from other adaptive athletes being told that they can't do something. And I think this is something that we can all apply in our own lives. Yes, we will all come up against challenges, but a key difference between living a more fulfilled life and having a positive impact on the world around us is how much we can constantly strive to be a better version of ourselves instead of being complacent. And it's so important to think about how you can have that positive impact on those around you by lifting them up, believing in them, or giving them a little push when they need it, rather than limiting their own beliefs about themselves or their full potential. My third takeaway was that with challenge often comes opportunity. And I'm sure that for Kevin in the moment, he would never would have imagined right after his injury, the enormous impact that he would later have on thousands of people around the world like he does today. It's often really hard to see the silver lining in the moment when we're going through difficult times, but from this life-changing freak accident that Kevin had, he's been able to positively impact so many people that he may, not, may never even have come in contact with otherwise. So this is something important to keep in mind whenever we come up against challenges, big or small in our own lives, always take a step back and think about how that challenge might make you stronger or better or better able to positively impact the people and the world around you. To make sure you never miss an episode and to receive exclusive content from me, head to my website, juliefouché.com and subscribe to my email list. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe and consider giving the podcast a five-star rating on iTunes. Also, don't forget to share your stories. If you or someone you know has used lifestyle to overcome a serious health challenge, please send me an email at info at juliefouché.com. I'll choose some of these inspiring stories to share here on future episodes. Don't forget you can train with me through Beyond the Whiteboard by visiting trainwithjuliefouché.com. Thank you again so much for listening, and I'll catch you next time on Pursuing Health.